Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am your host for this week, Liana Hafer, and I am joined by our good friend, freelance writer, John Bolding. Howdy. And by Strategy Gaming's number one space exploration and colonization stan, Rowan Kaiser. Hello. I don't Rowan? like I don't like that word. Okay. Well I, yeah. I don't go by Stan. Okay. Well That's uh, got negative connotations. All the other parts are good. Yeah, you love you love space exploration. You think we should be funding more of it. Uh, right? How dare you so, bad mouth uh Dido and Eminem. Just, Go to go to space immediately. Um, yeah, it's uh, no. I I am respecting Eminem's original intent. You are not supposed to be Stan. Stan is a cautionary tale. That's true. That's true. This is the original intent behind the uh, the uh, the message. Yeah. Um, well, we're we're here to talk about Peraspora, which is a new. Uh, Mars colonization game that's a little bit different in that it kind of has a discrete story that follows along with the sort of sandboxy uh, gameplay of, of basically making Mars habitable for human life. John, since you were the one that kind of really were pushing for all of the rest of us to play this game, what kind of captured you about it? And uh, what do you think is what do you think is special here? I think that what is special here is that the developers are trying to do something that hasn't been done, at least recently, or in this way, in that they are making a strategy, uh, sort of city builder or management game about space travel, and they are also giving it a distinctive story. It has a start point and an end point. It has narrative branches and an arc to it it which which varies the gameplay depending on how you choose to play the game and it's a it's a really interesting game it has flaws for sure i'm i'm sure we'll get into plenty of them but i think that what it tries to do makes it one of the most interesting strategy games i've played this year and this has actually been a year with some a broad variety of games and a lot of interest, a lot of not interesting, a lot of strategy games. But I don't think a lot of the strategy games that were released this year tried to push the envelope or do too much that was new. And this is one of the only ones I played that grabbed me because of what it was doing. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's like a really good point that we'll probably touch on more when we do our you know 20 2020 wrap up that like even some of the best strategy games that came out this year didn't necessarily do anything we hadn't seen before they just did things we'd seen before a little bit better um yeah uh rowan what, what has been your feeling so far about uh Peraspera? were you as uh were you as charmed by its novelty as uh as john was um I mean, I played the hell out of it. I uh, <laughs> I finished it. Um, the distinction that I would make is that there are lots of strategy games that have like narrative and uh, choices that you can make even, but this game has characters uh, and you are a character within the world. And this is something that there are a lot of strategy games that kind of... Uh, want to try to make you 
not be just like a weird omniscient god figure above whatever um they want to have you be some specific thing like i remember specifically when i went to go talk to double fine when they were making a massive chalice which is an xcom like fantasy strategy game or tactics game uh there is like a massive chalice that is like imbued with power that controls all of these tactical things, and like communicates with all the people and tells them what to do. And like, they were like, we don't, we don't really understand games where you're not playing a character. So we're having you be this character. And it's, it's functionally meaningless to me uh, in general, except in, in this game, there are, uh, Prospera is actually trying to make you play a singular character who has a voice and makes choices. Uh, you are Amy Two, a um, artificial intelligence, I believe, housed in a satellite above Mars, who is in charge of the terraforming and uh, interacts with the colonists when they appears. Interacts with your bosses from uh, the space organization that has sent you. Uh, you get uh, various conversations with these people across the course of the game, some of which involve dialogue choices. You also get your reflections on what's happening that also, again, includes some dialogue choices, some of which end up mattering greatly to how the game goes and some of which don't. But Amy has her own personality that you can kind of guide along the way and the characters you interact with have their own personalities and, you know, standout voice actors like Troy Baker and Phil Lamar, who you have heard in dozens of other things. Uh, so the, the narrative aspect is like less that there's, you know, a campaign where stuff is happening and more like a, a you know, slightly Bioware uh, importation onto the game. And it doesn't fully work all the time, but it works a lot more than it doesn't. And it almost certainly kept me playing where I might have gotten bored with other uh, city builder type games that had as much uh, dead time as this game can have. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a clutch. For me, that's the nexus of it is that this is a fairly straightforward city building game. You build uh, or, or colony building. I'm not sure exactly what we call these, but it's a it's a game where you build little factories and you build little mines and you build little worker hubs and the hubs send out a worker that moves resources around that process into other resources and you expand across the surface of Mars and you build more colonies and factories and things. And there's a it has a, a real emphasis it has a real emphasis on how you do or don't expand. And expansion is a key factor in trying to get uh, enough resources and make sure you consistently have the resources you need to keep your colony running. It's a, there's a very tense expand or die element to most yeah. of the game though that starts to go that pressure goes away later in the game um and i think that overlaying this story to give a sense of immediacy of narrative arc to what you're doing because otherwise this is a fairly standard little game uh it's got a couple interesting tiny twists on other on the genre as a whole but it, you know it's got a really pretty map and you sort of pan around mars and you make there be oceans where there weren't oceans before. And that's a really interesting part of it. But it is about making the decisions as this character. And that is what draws you in and keeps you playing. Yeah. Like, I don't know. 
Let me. We can maybe cut this if you feel like I'm I'm saying too much, but I think it's the first time I've ever seen like a strategy game, like a top-down bird's eye kind of you know I have godlike power sort of strategy game where there's a little bit of like an unreliable narrator element to it, <laughs> and I thought that was kind of interesting too. Um, no, it, it, I I think you I don't yeah. I don't think that we would cut that because I think that that's indicated in a lot of the trailers is that you are a child your character amy is newborn effectively right you're 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 an artificial consciousness you're ultra intelligent you're smarter than you know anything there's there's several ruminations by amy on am i the smartest thing that exists but you yourself have only been alive for a few years right and you have such i, I ruminate on that a lot myself too well, that's... so I, I really related to that yeah <laughs> Am, yeah, am I the smartest thing that has ever existed in the universe? I mean, it's possible. Am I baby? <laughs> I'm, I'm baby. That's the real yeah. truth. I mean, on this on this blessed day, we are all baby. But uh, yeah, continue, continue. Yeah. And, and also like just sort of the way that it's it's held together is like what is real, what is true. Uh, and there's there's a lot of these aspects throughout it. I don't think it's. Yeah, yeah. this is this is one of the things that will get people to play the game is trying to the the idea that there is kind of this mystery underlying. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, I think, I think the reality can, there's a mystery, and I think we can sort of uh, segment off. And this, I don't know, have we ever done this on this podcast? Segment off a spoiler section at the end. Yeah, we we've done that with some some yeah, like tactical okay. role playing game type of things, but yeah, we could do it. We could do a full spoiler thing at the end. Yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah, that that's because uh, yeah, man, it is hard to talk about this game without talking about the story. So we'll 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 we'll, well specifically I segment mean, that off. We could talk about like the first half of the story before yeah. the big shit goes down. Well, I was I was gonna say like it's so it messes with your head so much. John was actually laughing at me. Because there was actually a point that I sent him a, a message that was something along the lines of like, are any of these people actually real? <laughs> like, and like, I won't answer that question for you, but like, that's how how much it kind of messes with you over the course of like trying to figure out who's telling you the truth, who's lying to you, what is actually going on on well, this planet. It, uh, this game is sort of a throwback in the sense that like in the mid 2000s. Uh, especially like Descended from Eco and the like, uh, a lot of games started realizing, hey, what are we doing with our interfaces? Like these things are arbitrary. They're not, quote, immersive. They are uh, ways, things that just sort of get in the way of the player. So what if we made the interfaces things that existed as part of the world? Uh, right. The biggest example yeah. of that is like Assassin's Creed, where you play character who is, you know, transferring their consciousness back in time and the interface that you see is the interface that, that you know the person in the box or whatever goes back in time to go use and like that interface can be like fucked with a little bit and you know there's twists and turns within the narrative of that uh, something like Far Cry 2 where you pull up the map and the map is literally a thing your character is holding uh, this kind of idea of the interface is part of the story, is part of the game, is one that uh, really was, you know, constant back then, and it's still around now. But, like, okay, 
In Parasmara, you are playing this artificial intelligence who sees the entirety of Mars and works on doing things within Mars and then starts discovering that things are not what she is told. And like, when you are playing this idea of a character, you're seeing her subjective experience and her subjective experience is something that can be messed with. It's something that can be reprogrammed. It's something that is not necessarily real. Uh, as you play, you discover these, as far as you can tell, the world seems to be operating by consistent rules, but the characters that you're talking with are saying that, no, these aren't necessarily consistent rules. Uh, and so, like, you have this idea that maybe what you're seeing isn't what you're seeing. Uh, it's, you know, kind of a gaslighting simulator in that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great way to, that's a great way to put it, actually, because, yeah, it's, yeah. There's, you definitely reach a point where you have multiple different factions that are are kind of pushing you in different directions. This is where I think the the Bioware comparison actually makes a lot of sense, and we'll we'll bring this up when we actually do the spoiler segment at the end. But there are like a few different distinct endings that have kind of not not only narrative differences but also like different engineering challenges behind them right. based on like what what you decide is the moral thing to do uh with mars um and uh you know there's there's a lot of like little breadcrumbs and and clues that you can kind of pick up along the way that might help you put together a better picture of this um the issue i had with that i'm curious to hear if either of you had a similar experience though is that a lot of these like breadcrumb clues that are supposed to kind of feed you some hints about what's actually going on here uh, are like they're so hard to access that I had blown way past the point in the story where that information would have been relevant before I even got there. Like, I think there's some little satellite station that's on like the opposite side of the planet from where you start that kind of gives you an answer to a pretty big question that, that comes up at one point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did, did either of you have that issue? I had a... Yeah, there's there's definitely a, a thing where the game doesn't fully realize, like, that you are doing different things in different order. And you can mm -hmm. sort of see this is like a first attempt at doing this from this studio, right? Yeah. It's, uh, they have all the pieces in place. They just don't necessarily know when to cut out the pieces. And yes, I had that exact experience where the character in the game said, we were waiting for you to discover this. And I'm like, that's literally on the South Pole. I'm nowhere near the South yeah, Pole. Yeah, and he he, he kind of like gives you shit about it too. He's like, yeah, I mean, I would have contacted you sooner if blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, I, I, yeah, but well, okay, put your satellite base then, somewhere that's then what, easier to get to. <laughs> But then when you go and find the thing, the other characters in the game are like, oh, my God, we've discovered this thing. And it's like, this guy told me this like yeah. three hours ago. If you do not proceed through the prescribed story objectives in the order that they seemingly want you to do, like if you go all in on terraforming and are just like, I don't I don't really care about whatever this side quest is. It kind of breaks the narrative and and even the mechanics a little bit, I don't, it seems like. I think you can you can break the mechanics a little bit, but I don't think it breaks the narrative as badly. I agree that because of its nature as a as an, a nonlinear narrative with separate pieces that can happen in different orders, depending on how you play. I think that it doesn't doesn't always work. It doesn't always feel smooth, but you can level the same criticism against any other game with a nonlinear narrative like Hades 
is ultra famous this year for having a nonlinear narrative with all these interesting little stories happening in it. But you can get stuff that feels wildly out of order or interactions that don't fit appropriately. I, I actually I actually did not really encounter that with Hades. Like it's it seems like they that was my principal experience with Hades. Really yeah. interesting, because, yeah, I didn't feel that way about 80s. Either. Like cons- I consistently yeah, like, had stuff pop up and I was like, yeah, I did that literally 25 hours of gameplay ago. Yeah, like uh, it, it feels like, you know, this is the sort of thing that RPGs and various RPG related things have tried to deal with. Like it's a, it's impossible to probably fully deal with. But, you know, as a it's a first step. Uh, within this particular mode of storytelling, like you can see, okay, these are the parts where, you know, an obsidian game might have said, oh, we would have a character with a totally different dialogue tree if we knew that this had already happened or what, or they would just take that thing out. Like there's, there's just more variables that they toss in with more dialogues going on that maybe this game just, you know, needs to this is a thing that has come out of those genres with practice basically yeah uh, just keep adding new things um the witcher 3 is actually the one that does this the best i think because you can get go to vi- so many places on the map and get parts of the story that then all of a sudden make sense when they all fit into place um i certainly and this agree game just is this game is you know this game is like at the dragon age origins or mass effect you know generation of storytelling in that uh it's it's starting to take steps in a new direction that are maybe not quite uh what we might expect if we were playing you know oh yeah the the witcher 3 the witcher 3 the most recent rpg from cd project red i wonder if they'll ever do anything else again in the future i I think they're just happy making money from gog and never tweeting (laughs) yeah that's you know that's the right way to go honestly i think um valve that's what we like to call that you just stop making games <laughs> yeah. and never tweet. We used to make we used to make games and now we just make money. Um Yeah, so so like the narrative is is kind of the big piece of this that I think kind of sets it apart, but I also felt like it's not I don't necessarily agree with the idea that it's like a really standard city builder or colony builder, because the other thing I really, really liked about this game is um the the fact that uh, for one thing, the, the map is really good. Like they have this whole dynamic, you know, Martian globe that you can zoom around, zoom out and, you know, pan around. And it's all seamless when you go from the orbital view to like the high level planetary view down to like being able to see your individual robotic workers and stuff. But like kind of the way that visually, uh, you know, the it starts out with like the ice caps melting and then you'll start seeing um like weather systems move across the planet eventually and like ice turns into oceans eventually and you know, the, the the soil changes as you like release biological organisms into uh into the environment um when you start uh, putting out the forests man that's the good shit yeah like i i really liked how how mars visually evolves as you kind of progress along uh, I'm curious, like, was there was there any like specific moment that either of you felt? Was, I mean, Rowan, you just talked about the forest, you know, coming out, but like, where it's like, oh wow, this is cool. Like this, this, this is. There's a lot of dynamic. Um, I guess 
synergy between like the mechanics and how everything visually is presented that felt really rewarding to me. Yeah, the the point that well innately the reason I was initially interested in this game is because of that beautiful topographic globe of the planet and uh it being actually accurate to satellite images we have now from uh I think they use NASA High Rise, the big satellite above Mars that takes all the pretty pictures um to to create that but the point for me that was awesome was when i had been sort of chugging along for a while and i think i had a little bit of i think i had water on the surface but it was only liquid for like three months out of the year in each hemisphere so it would like expand and recede um but the part that really got me was when uh, i started noticing clouds and i saw liquid in a part of i saw like liquid water forming a lake forming in a part of the planet that I was like, how'd the water get there? That's nowhere near any water we've put. And I realized that it was because uh, water was starting to actually form a water cycle. And I opened up the humidity overview and there was mm-hmm. actual flow of water and rainfall in certain areas of the planet. And that was really cool. Yeah. yeah and I, it, I'll go for it. I, I had similar experience with water but in a totally different way where i'm just puttering around slowly building up my base uh paying attention to the enemy base or whatever and then all of a sudden i notice wait a minute this little crater over here has a little blue dot in it and i like go out and look at the planet and there's like an ocean up at the north pole that's starting to like slowly seep around and like that blue bot that blue dot just made me so excited because things had changed and like that's a not normally a thing that the map that maps in these sorts of games do right like you change them by adding things on top but not their inherent form usually Mm -hmm. um or it feels really weird when you do like in SimCity 2000 when you'd get like the terrain mess with thing and all of a sudden you'd just like build higher mountains or whatever that would cost God boatloads of money. Uh, and like, what is this supposed to mean? What is this supposed to indicate? Whereas in this game, like this indicates a major step for what you are doing and why you are doing it. And uh, like conceptually i could imagine that yeah this game was probably going to do something like at at some point because it is about terraforming mars but actually seeing it was like extremely cathartic yeah and watching it slowly spread i i do agree with you like the the forests are the good shit once you start really putting in large plants and changing the face of the planet and watching it spread and watching the biomes form is really fun right you you get these differentiated areas where you have an alpine biome and below that you sort of have a thick deciduous forest and then you've got these drier desert-like areas with grassland that's really cool and it's satisfying it's a good feeling to know that you did it and it Mm -hmm. happens in a way that you want right like you get to choose where plants start spreading from though fair warning as i believe liana learned once you once you let the plants go you can't get them back in the bottle they don't just stop spreading (laughs) If you're if you're not at a point where you have enough nitrogen to create a stable biosphere and you just like start letting like bacteria and fungi propagate, uh, that can cause some problems uh, for sure. Well, is, I think yeah. I think that that goes to the the thing about this game that it's really interesting as a city builder. Yes, yeah. that you have these macro terraforming goals and 
it's not just I want to expand my economy here, I want to develop my technology here, it's I want to change the nature of the gases and the liquids and raise the temperature and build a magnetic uh, a magnetic shield and increase the pressure. And this is like this massive macro goal that you don't actually really see. And that kind of requires that you have a narrative to push, that you have, you know, your, your, the commander of the colony calls you excitedly and says, oh my God, you've increased the pressure. We can go outside and, and so on. Like, that's yeah. not a thing that you are going to see in this game. It's not a thing you would see in any game. And it's like, that would not be good, a good gameplay loop without some kind of narrative hook there. The other thing I thought was really interesting is that like these these changes actually also change the the strategic considerations, right? Like you have at the beginning of the game, there are a lot of like resource rich areas that like if you're not thinking far enough ahead or you're not actually considering the implications of of what's actually going to happen as the terraforming proceeds, it's like, oh, yeah. There was like a ton of like nickel and and like um, organic chemicals and stuff down here, but that's all gonna be underwater <laughs> eventually, right? Um, or or like the fact that like as you increase the atmosphere, your ability to to generate solar power, like that efficiency actually decreases. So if you've been completely relying on solar power, you can find yourself in trouble. But at the same time, these weather systems start to appear that make wind power more efficient. So you kind of transition into, uh, you know, different ways of generating energy, or you can just go nuclear and say, I don't care. But yeah, I thought that was another really interesting aspect of, you know, terraforming the planet actually has major impacts on, on how you have to think about how you expand and how you build your infrastructure. Yeah. And the story, the narrative mode, the campaign has some impact on that. It does force you into certain patterns. It wants you to do certain goals before it will advance the narrative as a whole and sort of let you finish. I'd be interested to play this in the sandbox mode to find the time to go through that and do stuff mm -hmm. sort of wildly out of order compared to what the campaign uh, boxes you into being able yeah. to do. Yeah, that's that's the, the second half of what I wanted to say was that like much like the narrative mode, the terraforming feels like a first step towards something that has some major drawbacks like Liana's experience with the nitrogen was pretty much exactly my experience. So, you know, I have, you know, used CO2 to melt the uh, ice caps and then used a bunch of oxygen to drive the CO2 out of the air, stopped importing greenhouse gases, etc. So I have a planet that becomes like 70% oxygen. And the story, yeah. the story is telling me like, Oh, if the oxygen gets above 30%, you're going to have fires. And I definitely had fires and they did cause some issues, but like I was not told, and maybe this is, you know, that I'm not an expert or read up regularly on terraforming of Mars, but I was not told to watch out for this in the ask in the part of the story before this. I was just doing the thing that they told me to do in each section of the terraforming. So it says, okay, you know. Get rid of the CO2. I've gotten rid of the CO2. Add oxygen. I've added oxygen. Oh, shit. The oxygen is in a runaway level, and no one has told me about adding the nitrogen. Uh, so it feels like each part becomes a discrete puzzle, 
to solve and puzzle might be a strong word because eventually all I did was like research nitrogen plants and send a bunch of spaceships to import nitrogen and just wait for the numbers to go down. Um, yeah, it's a, uh, they, it suffers from, oh, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Each part of these things is discrete. And like, there's a part of me that really wants like this overall point of view of like, okay, we want you to like be working as a scientist who's trying to keep these things in balance and prevent any kind of runaway of anything because it also felt too easy to go back and do this. Like all it required was me just spending time waiting for my spaceships to go and come back. And whereas like a full terraforming simulator where the actions and consequences feel a little more, I don't know, we, we see this with the earth and the greenhouse gases and all that, where like we know that there are drastic actions that could theoretically be taken, but those drastic actions may have completely unintended consequences. So like I had buildings catch on fire. Yes. But I did not have like giant fires sweeping over the entirety of my lichen that had uh, taken over the planet to some extent. So it's, uh, I think it's getting there. I agree. I, I agree. And I think it's yet another of those putting on so many layers in this game is part of it. Wait, what makes it an experimental game? And it does have, depending on your tolerance for this kind of thing, pretty severe pacing issues in the latter half of the game with especially the terraforming system. Uh, and I think that those are things that could come out in the wash or be fixed in later versions but they are frustrating for now. And they, the developers have been fairly active on it. Some aspects of the late game are much less frustrating now when you all are playing than they were when I was playing. Dear God. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> well, like the issue I had, and, and I feel like this is going to be another one of those classic 3MA episodes where I end up saying, oh, this is great. You should play this. But then I have like a lot of stuff to complain about. Um like, like the issue I had is, so there, there's a building called a biodome that you unlock late mid game, probably that like it has one line of text in the description of the building. It's not even like statistically represented anywhere. It just says, oh, uh, you know, if you build these. It might cause some microorganisms to spread through the soil. You know, it just, you know, it, it might it might happen. It's something you might have to deal with. And the issue that I had is that I, I had like two of these, right? Just to produce oxygen. Like at the point in the campaign I was, like my goal was to produce oxygen. So I was like, all right, I'll build some biodomes. It says something about lichen, you know, they might escape and they might just go hang out if it's warm enough. And if there's, you know, enough uh, carbon dioxide to do photosynthesis. The problem was I eventually got to a point where my atmosphere was about 40 percent oxygen. And I was like, OK, that's we're having some fire issues. I'm having to build some extra maintenance facilities to deal with these fire issues. Uh, which is kind of funny that like the, the solution to fire is actually machine parts because that's what you need to build the drones that put out the fires. So like the more oxygen you have, the more machine parts you need. That's that's a whole other weird kind of interesting interaction. Um, and uh, 
I, so I, I shut them down first and then my oxygen got up to like 60%. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to tear these down. Like, I'm just going to get rid of them. And it's like my oxygen still kept going up until it was like pretty close to 90%. Like, like most things were catching fire at least once a year at that point. And uh, it doesn't really tell you why that's happening. And it's like if you read this one line of text in the description of the biodome, I guess you can extrapolate from that. Oh, I introduced photosynthesizers into the soil and they're turning carbon dioxide into oxygen. But then it, it like it never stabilizes. Like once you've done that, once you have put photosynthesizers on the surface of Mars, they will continue to convert all available CO2 into oxygen pretty much indefinitely. Like there's never like a... Um, I don't want to like say that I uh, the, the, like this is a good theory, but like Malthusian would be sort of the common term I'd use to 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 describe this, like a point where where there's not enough CO2 for them to continue to photosynthesize. So it's going to stabilize at a certain level because the lichen are going to start dying or whatever. So I was kind of like stuck in this loop where it's like all I can really do is keep importing nitrogen and CO2 until I hit some kind of a balance. Uh, and that that's one of the two ways that I feel like the system's kind of buckled under themselves in the late game. Well, you've got to remember that I I disagree with you on that one, because when you compare what they let the atmosphere do in per aspera to what our atmosphere on Earth does, the percentage of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere is shockingly low. I think it's 0.04 percent or something like that, right? And that's what you're supposed to aim for, too. I think it's 0.5 is like... They say less than 0.5, and therefore the, the air won't be poisonous 5, yeah. to human beings, right? That's the goal. So you don't... After a certain point, you just get to stop producing carbon dioxide. I think the, the imbalance part is that the point you stop producing carbon dioxide and the point you can start introducing nitrogen into the atmosphere effectively are very far apart. And so you almost inevitably end up with a point where... You let out some plants 30 years ago and they're spreading across the entire surface and they're perfectly happy to keep spreading and converting uh, oxygen or CO2 to oxygen. And they're not going to run out of CO2 because they're dying and decomposing and releasing CO2 back in the atmosphere. But they are sure as hell going to convert the entire extant atmosphere <laughs> into oxygen. Well, and the that, other thing is you you can't really from what I found, you can't really get rid of oxygen once it's there. Like you can keep importing nitrogen to balance it out. Um, but it didn't seem like no matter how many like humans and animals I brought in, it didn't seem like I could ever really lower the amount of atmospheric oxygen, which is actually a problem if you have too much. Right. My, uh, my 20,000 humans are not out breathing uh, plants <laughs> that have taken over a third of the surface of a planet. I can't believe that. Uh, so I think, I mean, like I said, I think the core issue here is that it only introduces these, these things as a puzzle to do once. Like, okay, now you have, you know, stabilized the... Uh, uh, temperature enough that you could start introducing plants. Okay, great. There are plants. Okay, great. There's oxygen. We wanted oxygen. Wait, no, now we don't want oxygen. So now there's another thing to do. And 
the things that you do as the game progresses towards the end tend to be much, much bigger and bigger, where it's like, okay, I'm sending five spaceships a year to Titan to bring in nitrogen. I'm also researching the nuclear nitrogen plants, and now I am just sitting and waiting for the oxygen level to go down from 70% to 30%, and then maybe I will get a notification that something else is going to happen. And then... Like, that's also what happens when you get to the ending where, like, you are building much bigger things in space that require space elevators, which take a lot of spaceships to go and build the space elevator. And then the space elevator builds the things itself that goes really slow unless you're building multiple space elevators. So there's, like, this escalation of building wonders, basically, uh, that... Involves waiting a, a pretty healthy it amount. Yeah, waiting. Yeah. Hurry up. Yeah, that, just just click the sixteen times speed and yeah, there were, yeah. there were yeah definitely. And I think that's that's basically the game is structured so that you're supposed to play on like two times or four times speed initially, and then slowly move up to eight times speed and slowly move up to sixteen times speed. But there's not there's like psychologically i want to find a balance of the speed that i am comfortable with but it's more that the game takes this like super macro view that okay you started like your first three years on mars were really slow and really intense and you had to manage every piece of the economy and now that you're you know 30 years in you just sit and wait for shit to happen and like it's on this like exponential path of uh, how much, how many resources you have to use and how much time it takes to deploy those resources. But it never actually straight up tells you, hey, this is the kind of game that is where at the end, we're just doing these massive projects and literally nothing else is going to happen. Sorry. No, I think, I think you're right. And I think that part of that is it, it does get sort of, weirdly slow if you're playing on anything but the fastest speed and even playing on the fastest speed there at the end it takes a while i found myself at those points i was simply queuing up the tasks that needed to be done and then looking at what my excess resource output looked like and i was building for the joy of it right i was seeing how high of a population i could support of of people i was pressing out towards the remote areas of the planet so that i could green them faster those were the kind of projects i was undertaking and they were totally they were completely self-directed at that point and i think that if you don't you're i think you will get bored by the end of this game if you're going for the full terraforming and you finish the story and you're just sort of waiting for it to be done i think you have to be like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna create a completely unnecessary totally totally outside of my actual needs food production chain or i'm gonna make so many electronic i'm just gonna make so many pieces of electronic components that i'm gonna carpet the surface of this world in them you're you're doing stuff for the for the sheer joy of it and different people will react very differently to that experience yeah yeah and liana and i had an experience where that was also the case in the mid game for us uh, and you you managed to figure this out, but like 
a lot of the plot stuff in the mid game involves, hey, there is, you know, some former colony or some random thing with a signal yep. on the other side of the planet. Uh, build a research station there that requires having a decent little infrastructure locally. Uh, and uh, that will trigger the next event in the story. And uh, there's a a thing you could build with your spaceships called like a landing module or whatever, where you can deploy essentially a new basic base at that point. But Liana and I were finding that we couldn't actually build anything from that base. <laughs> I yeah. Uh, so we ended up just daisy chaining worker hubs and solar panels and maintenance hubs like all the way across the planet, like several times. Yep. Which, and because yeah, Rowan eventually found the solution to this, because once you have researched higher level mines, which take more resources to build, which than a cost, level one mine. cost, which cost way more resources that becomes the default. Anytime you want to plop down a mine, it gives you the highest level mine that you're able to build. Unless you click on this tiny, tiny little thing in the interface that's like really easy to miss. It's like, no, I just want a basic mine. Um, I think, and yeah, the, the number that you can't you you can't ship resources to these secondary landing sites um, without building a road all the way out to them. Or a space and, elevator. Or a space Secret. elevator, or a and hyperloop, which mechanic. never worked. <laughs> I'm glad hyperloop is like the only Elon Musk reference in here. But yeah, um, I was expecting a lot more of them, and I was kind of pleasantly there, surprised. There are several it, Elon Musk just... jokes. Yeah. Um, so, and then you also there's no way to like upgrade these landing modules either. They always carry a set amount of resources that is like. The bare minimum, if you get lucky with resource placement <laughs> to create a self-sustaining base, if you're like really, really careful. Um, it's and, a, uh, yeah. it's the exact same resource blend that it gives you when you first land. And that's actually a, an yeah. obnoxious thing in this game, I think, which is that uh -huh. if you don't manage to memorize the build order for a new colony, uh -huh. you can you can fuck it up. And like on the higher difficulties, it's actually necessary to shut down certain buildings at certain points in that build. Order it is. Too, yeah. If like, you want it to go yeah. faster, you need to make sure you shut stuff down <laughs> so that you can. Yeah. Like, you're like, yeah, uh -huh. no, I don't need a glass kiln right now. I'll shut down the glass production so that I can make sure I have enough energy to be producing steel or whatever. Right. Absolutely. right. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing is that when you get to that, that oxygen rich point, those fires will start hitting and destroying those bases functionality before you can actually fully build maintenance hubs. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. So by the time I had figured this out, it was basically useful except for one or two little bases for me. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very possible, especially on, on Aspera, which is like, it builds it as like the, if you're an experienced strategy player, you should definitely play this mode. And like, I uh, probably not true. No, that's, um, that is, <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that was this a is a warning we should go, you should go into slightly more detail on because yeah. this well, warning well, prevented me from making your mistakes, Liana. Five out of the six times I had to completely restart the game. And I'm talking like some of these were like seven or eight hours in. And it kind of speaks to how much I was enjoying it, that I was willing to do that. And it didn't make me just want to, you know, jump off, you know, a, a space elevator or something. Um it was because I, I reached an extinction point with maintenance drones. 
<laughs> uh, where like I wasn't producing enough parts to replenish the maintenance drones to be able to keep all of my buildings in working order, and they'll eventually just fall into disrepair because of like dust storms and stuff, you know, over time naturally. Um, so like I, I always had those on high priority, like the maintenance hubs, like it was always like, all right, if nothing else, we have to keep these working or everything else will break. Um, mm. Or if you run out of uh, just the basic workers, if you're not producing enough of them to keep up with the failure rate, because they do have a natural failure rate, no matter how well you're playing, eventually you just won't be able to move resources from place to place. And then your maintenance hubs won't be able to produce more maintenance drums than everything else will break. So there's there is definitely this death spiral, especially on the, the higher difficulty level um, that is is very easy to fall into um, accidentally. Uh, yeah, that, that I experienced the, the very yeah. first time I played, I hit the same death spiral with with maintenance drones and new worker production where there weren't enough maintenance drones to keep everything maintained. And so the worker production fell off. And so the number of workers overall started to spiral down and et cetera, et cetera. Right. So resources weren't moving. So there couldn't be new maintenance drones built at the few remaining functional factories. Things just got worse and worse over time. And that was a bad feeling. And I was actually quite mad at the game at that point. Um, <laughs> but a lot of that can be avoided simply by taking the piece of advice that this is a game where you have to expand quicker than you think. You can't sit on your hands and yeah, don't mm -hmm. play on the hardest difficulty, especially when <laughs> your friend tells you after the first time that you fail on the hardest difficulty, that you should maybe play on the lower difficulty. I mean, I, I got I got it working eventually, and I felt that it was very satisfying when I did. But yes, I would say for most people, you will probably burn out on the game before you figure out how they actually want you to play it to be able to succeed on the highest difficulty. Um, because it's not something where you can adapt on the fly. It's like you're going to realize that you're dead many, many hours in and just have to start over. Yeah, that... So if you do want to play on that difficulty, just be prepared that you're going to lose probably a good 20 hours of your life without making any progress towards actually finishing the game. <laughs> One thing I do like about uh, the sort of mid-end game parts of it is that as your minds start to shut down and run out of resources and so on, the center of gravity of your bases changes in interesting ways. And like uh, your landing zone on the, on the plot mode starts with like every resource fairly near you so that you can maintain your base reasonably well. But once those mines are going, the mines that you get in other places tend to be like more specific. Like here's an area where there's like four or five aluminum mines. So that's, you know, aluminum is like the core building material. Uh, that's the, that's the one that you have to start with. And you basically need huge amounts of aluminum throughout the entire game. Uh, and so that area might become your new production zone and then you're slowly shutting down and perhaps deleting the factories that you have made in the center of your base beforehand. So like the space elevators I was building, like I eventually just tossed the third one near the original base kind of in that, in that original sort of uh, growing hub uh, kind of on the outskirts where other places could transfer stuff because like those factories were not really that important to me anymore where they had been the entirety of my game. And there's a, a kind of 
natural feeling of uh, growth and development uh, that sort of mirrors the way that you, you see the surface of the planet change based on the plant life you have deployed. Um, that uh, it, it's really satisfying in a city builder to have that feeling that, you know, there is a history here. This is a thing I talk about a lot with city builders that like this game has sort of progressed and I am not merely just, you know, reshaping where my original base was, but I have actually like adapted to the terrain and moved my centers of production out to where they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing like realizing that like you're going to run out of water and like all of your colonists are, they don't actually die. They go back to earth, which I thought was kind of, funny with how like brutal some of the other systems are presented no, that they, they like stop short of like oh everybody's gonna starve or whatever oh yeah they can't like starve um, to death they can die though yeah 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 but then, then like yeah having to like rapidly like shoot this tendril out to, like wherever the next nearest available supply of water is was always like really tense um the problem i kept running into that though and i think John, you might have said that you didn't have this as much, which makes me really want to look at how your bases are set up. But it kind of seems like once your base gets spread out enough, workers just like become way too dumb to figure out how to get stuff from A to B. Where like I would say definitely be ready to demolish stuff because I definitely hit a point where I was like, okay, it's better for me to just build a new spaceport closer to where the resources are because they're never going to get all these parts I need to launch this mission, they're never going to get them back to my original spaceport. So I might as well just demolish the spaceport and start over at this new resource hub. Well, you don't need to demolish the spaceport, but yes, having a place that is somewhat more efficiently located <laughs> is more efficient. Um, yeah, that, I, I, they're just, uh, there's a point I, where, you know, shipping, uh, shipping raw iron ore two-thirds of the way across the surface of a planet is perhaps not the best plan. <laughs> I, I did notice that it it was pretty possible to do that as I was like daisy chaining across the map. The issue was a the time and two that you have to uh, click the like high priority on various hubs and then unclick them. So like if you are have all your maintenance hubs on high priority permanently, those things are getting the parts that are needed and choking off other things, other forms of development across the map. So I actually turned off like the high priority on the maintenance hubs in, once I had gotten a set of drones on them. Yeah. Uh and then just, you know, fingers crossed that the robots would deliver the parts and they usually did. And I I you know had diffused part factories across my uh across my highway system but uh yeah you it's it's about where if you have factories or if you have things that require those like high level parts and electronics then on the high on the high uh high priority then those things will suck those up just to have them and you will just slowly not have anything else. So if you have your parts factories or your electronics factories, which require the iron or require the steel or your steel factories, whatever, the iron is all going there and just sitting there. And yeah, no, I had like, like I had some situations where like I needed a resource to launch a satellite 
And the interface told me I had 800 of them. And I'm like, okay, this mission is not launching. And I'm trying to figure out what's happening. It's like, there's just like little clusters of like 15, 20, 25 of this resource just sitting on like a random ass like worker hub that doesn't even have priority turned on. Uh, like just sitting there and just like not doing anything. And I'm not sure if it's that I wasn't building enough workers. I think I had around 250 workers by the late game. Um, because there's this interface that's supposed to tell you it, it like turns the map a different color based on uh, like traffic, like traffic flow, basically, that's like supposed to give you an indication of, oh, I should build more worker hubs. Yeah, it's. But it never really it never really teaches you like how many workers should I ideally have for this size of a base, which is also something I found pretty frustrating. Interesting. Yeah, no, it, I agree. Uh, it's basically the lesson there is if it's dark red, you should build another, which is not very useful information and takes a while to figure out. Yeah. And if a if a road is really dark red, you should bother to upgrade that road. But that that is so terrible. Yeah, that, the, the way the interface for is my least favorite part of the game is that you have to click on a building that is the start of a route and then the building that is the end of a route to, to upgrade a specific length of road. And even like by like the the late early game, like I'm talking like four hours in, you have so many roads that this is completely like not even viable to be something that, that you can pay attention to. You got to do it long distance, I think. I, I uh, agree. So I think it's interesting because it's one of the most tedious and frustrating parts of the game, coupled with one of the most interesting, useful, fun and enjoyable parts of the game, which is that per Aspera builds your roads for you. It, right. it uses a, a real world road optimization algorithm. I talked to the developers about this among a, f a few other things, because I found their development blogs so interesting that the real world science they were digging into to make the game. But they use a, a road optimization algorithm used by actual highway engineers and a uh, a set of um, equations that have to do with the motive power of the engines of the vehicles adjusted for Martian gravity, right? And when you place down two buildings, <laughs> you watch a routing algorithm play out in real time to find the optimal path between the two buildings and it builds the road for you. And I love it because one of the most tedious things in a lot of games like this is building an optimal road route and figuring out, well, why isn't why aren't my roads good enough or why aren't they taking this route that looks shorter? And in this game, you put down a road and you are 100 percent confident that that is the shortest possible fucking road. <laughs> well maybe and that, it's maybe, so cool to watch it's like got like these blue like tendrils yeah. that kind of stick out and like they're reaching out for other things cool. and you can see the <laughs> different ways that it could have gone maybe and like if you get in close enough you can like see which one's about to win yeah well maybe that maybe that is why i had so many problems because as uh justin rosniak says if you give traffic engineers a surplus of resources they will eventually build new jersey and that's kind of what my base ended up looking like uh, by the late game. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I would I would love to see what a like a successful base looks like, because clearly the way I was doing it was like not the correct way to do it. If but, yeah, some of, the, run, some yeah. of these things are like. 
how do you read the overlays? Yeah. So I go to the traffic overlay and I can see, okay, this place has bad traffic. Wait, does that mean that I should build more workers or does that mean I should build fewer workers because more workers means more traffic? Yeah. Or like, I don't I... know. I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm just yeah. going to make sure that there are workers spaced out relatively evenly and upgrade roads that I see workers going down regularly. And uh, that, I don't know. I, I don't want to say that tended to work because I had to sit around and wait for a whole hell of a lot of this game. But uh, I didn't like feel like I was missing some huge aspect of how this was supposed to work. All right. Well, do we want to take a, do we want to put like a spoiler warning and talk about the story here? Because I'm curious to hear which path we each kind of went down. Yeah. Um. And and sort of the implication of that, because it's it is some like really like high quality sci-fi writing, I thought. Um so we'll just say from this point on, I'll leave a warning in the show notes too. Uh we're gonna be we're gonna be getting into some spoilers. And the story really does matter and is like something that is worth experiencing yourself at least the first time or the first couple times if you want to try out a couple different paths. Um, it's not like an RP RTS campaign where like, oh, yeah, the story's there, but it's not really the point. A lot of times uh, this is something where I would say the story is very much one of the big reasons why you would want to play this, uh, you know, kind of go into it without as little information as possible. Um, so from what I can tell, there are kind of three like big paths that you can go down uh in, in as far as like the big big choice you make towards what, like what? The, the end game let's let's kind of um, set up how which the kind of like uh you can kind of side with um let's let's set up how the story is structured right um right so so yeah, as the game it. progresses you discover that your space you in that has sent you out is you know, not telling you the truth. And also you discover that there seems to be some part of your systems that is attacking your base. Right. Yeah. And there are also these mysterious other factions going on that you don't know how they're connected. You start getting weird phone calls and so on. Um, and you start getting towards choices that, you know, explanations of what is happening and then you have to choose essentially which one of these is real uh which what which of these people are telling me the truth about what the fuck is happening because what the fuck is happening is increasingly unclear and you know what i think is good about this game's narrative is that i don't completely agree with your summary of it and what you're supposed to make yeah. and the kind of decision you make in it and that is so good it's so good all right all right what is your summary because in of my it? brain this game is about figuring out what kind of person you might want to be and what your reaction to situations is and who you trust. It's not even it's clear that no one is telling you a complete story in this game. None of the sort of Ex three groups of people you're talking to are telling you the full except truth. That, except that the way I played it, it became clear that two of those people were telling me the full truth and two of them, one of them was telling me the full truth and was an asshole and one of them was a liar. Like, I got I got really clear answers at the end of the game and didn't especially like that. Which uh, wh which path did you which path did you go down, Rowan? I did uh, the New Martian Republic. Yeah, with, siding was, with the Zen. That was exactly what I did. And, and yeah, John, I mean that's that's the Paragon option, basically. Maybe 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 John didn't re 
If maybe John didn't not... realize. Maybe John didn't realize who was uh, lying to him because he drank the ISA Kool Aid. The so the. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you read the the who you're allying with, right? Like, if you're al- if you ally with the, the the techies, right, the East Asian Coalition against the Oxy UN, you're allying with the technocratic neo fascists, yeah, and you're I giving them what they want in in order to. Uh, and they tell everything they tell you is exactly the truth and one hundred percent the truth as far as you can tell. Like, there is nothing in the game that suggests that they are actually lying. I was waiting for a twist that said, these yeah, people oh, have certainly. actually taken control like, of oh, you. Oh, yeah, because and of nope, the, Everything's yeah. just fine and dandy. Candy there's and a, roses. There, there's a point in the game where, like, the, the, the ISA is going to shut you down. And, like, you can choose to, like, trust this foreign code that will protect you from it. And I was like, oh, that's going to come back to bite me eventually. Like, they're going to take over yeah, my like, systems and I'll just... Like, Realize I was being played, but that never happened. Yeah. And the end game for that is that you're supposed to build a Martian defense satellite network, which right. is like, okay, I build this. He says, all right, now we're in charge of you, Amy, and we have control of the Martian defense system and, you know, send us resources or we will blow you to hell. And that never happens. He just says, congratulations, you built it. You have a new Martian Republic. Let's trade sometimes. Right. Uh, that's it. It's the... He he tells you the absolute truth for the most uh, selfish possible reasons. All he wants out of it is to sabotage and damage the efforts of his political and uh, his geopolitical enemies on Earth. Right. He has right. an absolutely uh, short sighted goal in mind. Not that the, the outcome is necessarily bad for you or for the people on Mars, but that the outcome is still you're still siding and giving in to the group of people who will happily destroy Earth in order to get what they want. Sure, but the implication is that the ISA is also destroying everything to get what they want. So, like, I don't know. Well, that, uh, they didn't gotta, ruin Mars and ruin you. The ISA's goal is to make sure that humanity can continue to live. If you if you look into it, like, they're, they're, they are called the Oxy-UN because... Their countries are the only places on the planet where you can still breathe the air. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know. Like you, you're going into the lore and finding out that the guy who seemed to be super untrustworthy is probably actually untrustworthy. And that's true. Like according to the lore or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but According to how the game behaves, according to the feedback that you get inside the active story, he's just a nice old man who helps you live and helps your people gain independence, and you can help him out at the end, too. And I, that's really disappointing. <laughs> like, you you, you might have put a headcanon on this that he's actually still a, kind of an asshole somewhere, just, and maybe he is. Just because someone's nice to you doesn't mean they're a good person. But just because someone is nice to you within the context of the story and every choice you make in the story of trusting them leads to the place where you want to be, where the things they tell you are the truth, where your trust is entirely validated, means that, yes, that is a good person in the function of the story. I I mean, I disagree. I, I don't think anything I said I, exists outside of the story. It's all information available to you within the game. 
It's all information available to you at the start. It is the premise that you are probably not supposed to trust this guy because he is the enemy <laughs> of the Oxy you in. And then you trust this guy and you are rewarded. You get exactly what you want if, out of trusting him. If I can be clear, I think he, that you are rewarded no matter which choice you make. I don't think any of us oh, sided sure. with uh, yeah. Meg, Omega spoiler Car at this point, which is half, yeah. of, half of your personality is a rogue AI named Carmine that wants to either kill all of humanity or do something to that effect. Uh, yeah, like that's what I was like. I, I really want to hear if somebody who is listening to this that wants to like comment on the forums, like leave a spoiler warning. What the hell happens if you side with Carmine? Because your technology is tied to like human immigrants coming to the planet. So it's like, are you kidnapping and enslaving them? Or do you develop like AI drones that can do science for you? Like, I don't even know how mechanically the game would continue to function it's, if you uh, side all, with them. And also, it's not clear that Carmine <laughs> eliminated all the humans that were living on Mars with it at that point. I, I'm really interested yeah, to see it, it where that story goes. It seems like they goes. went underground or whatever. Yeah, um, so you, you can basically is, say, yeah, like AI is superior, humans suck, and the, here, you know. Here's yeah. the thing, though. Like, I'm sitting here talking about how there seemed to be like an interesting follow-up twist after that big choice if you go down the techie route. And then that twist never happens. There's there's functionally nothing happens after that point. Everyone just calls you and says, we're glad you're alive. Now we're independent. Now build these wonders and finish terraforming. And you do that. And it's like, congratulations, you did it. So I presume that other path goes down exactly the same route. Is there congratulations. A, is there an... You are, you are now, you know, functionally an independent AI god who uh, is still doing exactly the same thing? Build a wonder. I, I, gotta, you, I gotta go back. Yeah, I gotta go back and replay it, play it, and just ju I just want to see what the Carmine looks like. Are you given an in-game choice after you pick to side with the the techies? I, Was there is there a final? I, d I don't I don't think there is a no. significant choice. There might be like responses that you like. There's one. Uh, Sana calls you and says, hey, now that the terraforming is done, we have to figure out the next plan. Then we have a couple things. We could develop trade routes and trade with the techies and send them the resources they need to make Earth habitable again and so on. Or we can start looking at what the next planets to go to are. And you pick one of those two things. And she says, okay, that's an interesting thing to ask about, but you can make this choice later. And maybe that's an expansion. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it feels like can, an expansion. We can talk about this later. So, and so that's it. The choice at the here, end of the, the ISA storyline is very similar. Um, the sort of twists, I think, that you learn if you side with the ISA are very interesting in the context of hearing you say what you've said was basically the reason the ISA are being dicks to you and withholding so much information is because they know that both the rogue AI with weaponized drones on Mars and the techies can hear every single thing they say to you. And the the sort of shutdown ploy where they're like, we're going to turn you off is essentially trust us. We're going to turn you off so that we can purge all this extra code from you and then turn you back on. I was going to ask that, you know, I was yeah. going to ask if, if that if, is like, you actually go along with the kill switch plan. Or if there's some other way to evade it, if you side with the ISA, no, they. So it doesn't destroy you if you let the kill switch command go through. It doesn't end the no, game. No, it doesn't kill you. They just turn you off okay. for a, a moment so that they can remove all the 
all the hacking that everyone else has done to you. <laughs> I mean, that seems very overly dramatic. It seems like they should just be like, all right, we're going to reboot real quick. Just give me a sec. <laughs> like they build up to this, like, I'm so sorry, Amy. You're going to be gone forever. I'm I'm so sorry. We yeah, have to do this. That seems like the absolute wrong route. <laughs> Which is like, I, that's why take. I sided with the techies. It's like, I'm not going to let you guys per- turn these off. I've established that I'm a person. I believe, so, yeah. I believe that's be- the, their concern is that if they say anything like that to you, the the bits of you that are hostile to them will find ways to hide themselves or whatever, right? I mean, they turned the bits that weren't hostile to them hostile to them. That's what happened with my playthrough. Yeah, that's, that's so. I'm not that's, sure that's, that's, that's a logical call. reply. I'm not sure that Carmine was ever very friendly. Yeah, uh, yeah. And th- there's also like a bit where after, if you take the techie route, you sort of merge with Carmine. And there's like no, that's a that's a different that's that's a that's its own discrete path, I think. Because uh, that's no, there's also the Carmine path, but the techie path includes merging with Carmine. Does uh, it? Okay, I didn't. It's, I it's think just I got that from that, but yeah, it's it's pretty minor. It's like you just sort of talk with Carmine or something. I don't remember if you actually have a full conversation with her, but there's a point like after a major uh, plot critical call uh, that. Like you're sort of philosophizing about what what is going to happen on Mars now that you have like freed yourself from the ISA and you start sort of growling about what the humans have done to Earth and it like switches over to Carmine's voice. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. We have a twist going on here. And again, there's no twist. It's just kind of a neat. It's a neat thread did that you, doesn't really come back. So did you leave any of her stuff alive? Because I don't think I got that conversation, but I like I blew, it, it I gets de- it gets deleted if you if you take the other kill switch, I presume, because there's a third base that I never saw. Speaking. No, of, yeah, I blew up. I blew up all of Carmine's stuff. So maybe that's why I didn't get that path. But. I mean, like I saw yeah. the. I saw the base after, like I saw, oh, there's a bunch of resources on the map in the section where they said there was another base. Uh, so I guess that just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but like, it's it's interesting that we haven't talked about the warfare part of this at all because it's not really worth talking about. No, that's about. why we haven't talked about yeah. it. There's just not much there. It's very simple layer. It's just sort of and it's, something it's to like do. It's like a weird... And it's like a weird where like they they try to present it as like this moral choice of like, should I defend myself or not? But then if you don't, you just die. Like there is a correct answer. And it is like, yes, you do need to militarize. I mean, it like does seem like the situation the po- where they, also they the- let you deal with the realistic consequences of your action. If you're like, I guns guess. are wrong, I'm not going to build any. Someone with a gun comes and kills you. Yeah, uh, but I guess that's but no, true. it's it's more than that. It's that if you don't attack the base, the plot does not progress. Uh, and you can if you just you, build defenses and take out the drones who come at you, then you just continue doing the shit that you're doing forever. And then as soon as you blow up the base, then all of a sudden ISA is like, "What the hell happened?" And it's like ten years later. Uh, well, I think I can. I think presumably you might be able to take over the second and third ones if you merge with Carmine. Because I don't think you need to blow up Carmine's second base to get to the kill switch event. So maybe you just get that base and it becomes your base. Again, like, I mean, maybe merging with Carmine could do that. But like, that's not really that's not really what we're. Yeah, I think it's hard to say. It could just get deleted. And it's uh, like your defense drones become like completely useless after a certain point, too. Or like, yeah, you you hit a point where you just disassemble them all. Right. Yeah. 
as the techies, I was expecting that, oh, the ISA is going to invade and I'm going to have to like actually defend Mars. And then like that never happens. Either, I think that so. it's yeah, a I game mean, of limited scope, right? Ultimately, a lot of the problems with the story not being complex enough or not deepening certain gameplay systems that ultimately feel optional, like the defense drones are simply because it's a game made by 12 people and it costs yeah, $30 yeah. and we can't expect the world of it simply for that reason. It's trying to do so much stuff and we may want to lead into a wrap up with this, but what I think is extraordinary about it is it tries to do a million things and most games that try to do a million things fail miserably at every single yeah. one. This game tries to do a million things and succeeds at about half of them. And that's sort of shocking. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, we've, I, I don't know of any other high profile games that came out recently that tried to do a million things and just fell flat on their faces uh, in, in the, the, the year of our robot overlords, 2020, I can't think of even one, but uh, yeah, it, it does a lot of them really well, which was definitely surprising. So, yeah. So the thing that this reminds me of, uh, and, and this thought came into my head when Liana was talking about constantly restarting is when I did the <laughs> some people like this this was a subscriber only show but we did a show where we talked about what we were playing a couple years ago when I was like obsessively playing Pathfinder Kingmaker which is sort of a pretty good Baldur's Gate style RPG and also has this like narrative overlay that's like reinforcing all the little quests that you're doing uh and like, I kind of hated myself for continuing to play it and restart it <laughs> over and over. And I had a lot of psychological stuff going on. I was trying oh, to force oh, myself really? to do a review. Uh, and uh, like, there's there are lots of other reasons to like throw myself into this game at that point. But the big thing about it was that like, the meta narrative overlay that it attached, the sort of pseudo strategic element that like had a story that reinforced the the moment to moment gameplay of the game was really really compelling for me to keep playing even though i don't actually know if i liked playing the game in general and that's sort of a thing that i feel about Perasura, where like yeah i felt compelled to play this game and like i respect this game a lot like much more than kingmaker to be clear uh, in large part because Kingmaker was undone by bugs more than anything and just like really, really annoyingly not telling you what to do. Yeah. Also uh, a game where you can get into a very non-intuitive failure spiral very, very easily. Yes, yeah, so you can get into a failure spiral 20 hours in that only fails at 80 hours in. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's like, okay. Did I enjoy playing Paraspera or did I feel compelled to play Paraspera because the narrative was actually very well put together in certain ways? And like, that's not really a question that there's an answer to. Like, I don't feel too bad about the time I spent playing this game. Like, it's December. It's gloomy. We can't go anywhere. <laughs> there's COVID. Like, what the fuck? Throw yourself into 30 hours or 50 hours of a narrative city builder. Like, uh, it's probably the best thing you can do for yourself uh, right now. Um, but if there is a feeling that, like, this game, like, got a hook into me that... 
I don't fully know if the hook was, you know, totally one that I respect or was invited or whatever, but it did work. Uh, and I did like a lot of it and I can intellectualize why I liked a lot of it. I can also intellectualize why I didn't like a lot of it. And uh, if you don't feel like you have this time to just sit and stare as you turn the speed up slowly and your workers take a hundred iron to the space elevator 50 times in order to get to the end of the game, uh, then maybe you should avoid this game. That is very fair. And I think that it's, the hook metaphor is very good in that it is a game that gets its hooks into you and you do want to have that 30 hours to play. Like if your gameplay time is overall very limited, this might not be the best choice for you right now. But if you're like me and you see like a whip with which to flagellate yourself and you get really excited <laughs> because it's like a pretty whip, maybe you should, uh, oh, you should start whipping. Uh, yeah, I like I think uh, it is. I think it is honestly one of my favorite strategy games of of this year, in spite of its faults, for two reasons. One is that I just I think the story is really well done overall. I think it's some really good sci fi writing. I think even the tiny little asides where Amy is like kind of contemplating her own existence and you can make these little choices that don't. A lot of them don't really even have an effect on gameplay, um, but it's just kind of like it changes your self conceptualization as this A.I., are really cool um and then like just watching mars transform like this this like seamless really beautiful like really fully realized globe that just goes from this like dead like rust colored rock into like this viable biosphere i found those two things to be rewarding enough that i'd be able to say you know there aren't like a ton of contenders climbing for the the pinnacle this year but it is probably one of my favorite strategy games of 2020 um is, john is it a good game is it a good game i think it's a good game i think that like many of the best games many of my favorite games it has flaws some of which are gaping uh yeah. some of which are serious you can it's a it's a gym but there are some rough edges and you can cut yourself on them there are plenty of ways for me to level critique at it but i wouldn't be bothering to level that critique unless i thought it was worth talking about and i think that's a key thing for me and this game yeah i i think i think that this is like one of those fascinating experiments that like it clicked for us uh it won't click for some people uh paraspora 2 is going to be like it's going to blow the fuck up people are going to love it and people like us are going to be like yeah well i miss the jank a little bit they've figured out all this they've they've smoothed all this stuff out they've got they've put their little rollers making the roads black so everything goes faster and uh i don't know if, if this is actually better or not but that that's a conversation to eventually have because this game is worthy of uh, attempting to uh, have the company behind it uh, make whatever they want to next. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking sure. of, uh, between this and the Star Renegades show, uh, Raw Fury has established themselves as like a nice little small mid mid level publisher for really interesting strategy games. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they also did Kingdom, but like, I don't know, this is this game, like you can maybe see a Paradox or even a Sega publishing it, but like you wouldn't expect that. You wouldn't 
expect yeah. a bitty war from that level of publisher. But I am really glad that this game can exist and has, you know, people that we know are doing PR for yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who who would have thought that, like, uh, the publisher that is made up basically of all of the people who would stay out until 2 a.m. drinking with us from Paradox <laughs> would become a, an interesting strategy publisher. Um yeah, especially since like their their identity starting out was just kind of like I felt like it was just kind of like weird games. Yeah, it was <laughs> like of... it was like pixel art action games mostly. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, yeah, yeah. And, and now they're a few yeah. little adventures, and they're still doing those. Like they've just gotten well, big enough that they also uh-huh. have picked out some cute. You know, little Kingdom was twenty fifteen, and they've been sort of milking it with lots of little wow. expansions and stuff ever since. But they didn't release another good strategy game for a few years. And like I, I enjoyed they did Bad, Bad North, North, which was interesting, right. but, but it wasn't standout. And it was like, okay, yeah, they're sort of trying to do the Kingdom thing. They found another little interesting strategy, bite-sized game to publish. But uh, if they are a publisher that's going to take games like Per Aspera seriously, then they are a publisher worth paying attention to. And oh, in yeah. a sort of publisher signature, the soundtrack to Per Aspera absolutely slaps. Oh yeah, oh yeah, very good. Yeah. Well, unless anybody has any final thoughts to jump in with, I think we will probably wrap for there uh, this week. Uh, I am the robot queen of Mars. (laughs) As you probably know, uh, 3MA is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can join in on the discussion on the Idle Forums over at idlethumbs.net slash 3MA. Uh, This episode was produced by uh, this bitch right here, and you're welcome. Um... 3MA is also supported by listeners just like you. You can go over to patreon.com slash 3MA if you would like to get in on that and uh, maybe even gain access to what Rob continues to call our super secret Discord server, despite the fact that I think it's pretty public knowledge at this point, uh, where sometimes we talk about strategy games, you know, on the on on, on occasion, every once in a while. Uh, and sometimes so we argue John- about which strategy games to play and then never play them. Exactly. That's that's when we really get into it. Yeah. Uh, So for uh, John and for Rowan, uh, this is Liana signing off.